Welcome to The Apple of Truth, a weekly podcast where we cover every episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and admiring the guyliner, all with love for the show and its creators. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And today we're covering Lucifer, Season 2, Episode 1, Everything's Coming Up Lucifer. I have a first question. Yes? What does the expression Everything's Coming Up mean? Something in a sense of I'm getting all the good cards. Everything is positive. Everything seems to be coming my way. Okay, coming my way. I know I've never actively heard the coming up. Yeah. Usually things coming up for me has a <laughs> negative connotation. <laughs> Fun thing, the German title is entirely different. It is Hidden dangers. Okay. Thank you, Germans. Thank you. Don't even ask me. It's utterly ridiculous. I do wonder. No, I don't. It's one of the few differently named episodes this season, which is also why this season we're not gonna go into much detail in that regard. I'm only gonna point out a few episodes where we have weirdly different titles because most of the time stay stuck with the actual title. Okay. Summary of the episode is we have... Lucifer being obsessed as usual with finding his mom and mistaking several potential candidates for his mom. Chloe having faith issues into her not having faith. Amenadiel having his still ongoing sense of being crisis. And several other tiny parts get picked up from the last season. We do have previously on as well. Yeah, before I hand you the previously on, I'm just gonna say most facts and funs I inserted into the episode when they happen. I just want to point out this episode was written by Joe Henderson himself. Woohoo! And the trend from season one with the episode name being said by a character of course continues with this being Lucifer who says the episode name. Very good. Previously on Lucifer. Getting better at this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Lucy is the devil who left hell to live in Los Angeles. Ames has tried to get him back. Lucy has superpowers. They don't work on Chloe. Chloe also makes Lucy bleed. Ames has been sleeping with Maze. Dan turned himself in. Malcolm killed Lucy, but Lucy made a deal with God to go back. Maze left Lux and Mum left hell. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> Very well put. Yes. But we're gonna kick off the entire season with a song called Money by Ash Grunwald. Money is quite obvious. Seriously. Thing. It's a jewelry heist and the song is money. Duh. I mean, have you not seen the last 13 episodes? It's obvious, but not obvious enough. Like I would have expected diamonds are a girl's best friend or something because it's a jewelry heist and not a bank heist. Haha. <laughs> For a short moment, I was convinced that they're robbing a bank and then I got really confused about the people just sitting around in their fancy clothes, <laughs> sitting by table in nice chairs and it's like why would you have that in a fucking bank and then I had to go back I'm pretty sure they only are robbing a jewelry store so Lucy can put the tiara on top of the criminal's head it's so good <laughs> Speaking of jewels, scene one, jewel heist. Mm -hmm. Lucifer calls it conflict diamonds. Is that a nicer way of describing blood diamonds? I would say so, yes. Which is kind of underplaying the issue of blood diamonds. Lucy, call an asshole an asshole and a blood diamond a blood diamond, please. But yeah, who knows? I really love Lucy and Ames' antics as a team. 
for sure. It's very obvious how fed up they are with each other. And yet it works. And how necessary it is for them to still be working together. But I love that Lucifer is still doing his own thing. And actually using Ames slowing down time to not only strip the dude, but he ties his freaking shoelaces together. Which for me is just the most brilliant part of it. It is such a tiny little detail. But yes, the tiara is a very Lucifer approach. Yes, taking away the guy's clothes is a very Lucifer approach. But the little detail of tying the shoelaces together just puts it over the top and just makes it brilliant. I do wonder though, did he rip the clothing off him or did he actually lift the dude and take off his pants, then put on his shoes again to tie the laces or... I would not be (laughs) surprised if he did that. Because you usually have to take off the shoes to get off the pants unless you cut them off or something or rip them off. All the important questions, as you can see, clearly, that I didn't write down. To talk about the actual exposition in this scene. I really like the way they did this. The way they, in a short conversation, explained that mom needs to possess somebody, that she needs to find a body, which is kind of interesting. A recently deceased one. It kind of puts in the question in my mind. Does it mean that Lucifer and Ames are also possessing recently deceased bodies? Or do they have their own? Ooh. That is a very good question. Because then I think that ties up a little bit with later on. This is such a good question. I'm going to put it in our question list. I fully agree with your thought process, but I have no answer. So this is something that I would want to ask Ildi and Joe probably. Okay. And you're also absolutely right. The exposition is extremely well done. We get a lot of information dumped in just under three minutes. The scene is two and a half minutes long. Mm-hmm. And we get the entire mom problematic dumped into a which is also the focal point for Lucifer's obsession of the week. Like instead of a monster of the week with Lucifer, we get obsession of the week. I actually like that. And this week we have my mom is in everyone. We should try to call out the obsession of the week at the beginning. Coming up next, my normal notes for this scene are Linda is sensing mommy issues and I'm not surprised that he's sensing them with her pointing out that he hadn't talked about his mother so far. That is actually Linda asking the right questions. As usual. But I also have to say I totally understand Lucifer's position that because his mom didn't do anything for him when he needed her he also didn't do anything for her when she would have needed him. I understand the emotional rationale of his petty behavior. It's very fair in quotation marks. I agree with you there but that being said family should be a little bit more forgiving. Oh from a human standpoint and from an actual healthy standpoint you're absolutely right but he basically took a page out of dad's book which is an eye for an eye. Very true. And this is exactly what he did to his mom and like I said it feels in quotation marks fair. Yeah I agree with you. I would like to add that the way he describes their family it could be any human family. The neglect parents, the child acting out because of that, the disappointment of the mama's boy being kicked out and the, let's say, with lack of details of this actual situation, abused mother not standing up for her child or something like that. There is a lot of parallels that you can draw. And also the disappointment of the son being the mummy's boy not getting the protection from the mom that he obviously expected to get. Which also explains how easy it is for Linda to work inside the metaphor as she calls it. Yes. Because the problems Lucifer usually describes are actually relatable. Not just to celestial beings but also to 
normal vanilla humans. Vanilla humans, I love that. So we're getting to the crime scene. Yeah, the first crime scene of the season. Oh yeah. I find it hilarious that Chloe is now obsessed with Lucifer again. <laughs> I love how they find fine-tuned interest somewhere between I will find out what's happening. You are lying to me. I need to know everything and nah, whatever, dude. I just accept you for who you are. <laughs> It's kind of up and down the entire show, from what we've seen so far anyway, and I really enjoy that. Did you notice the timeline where we sit with this episode in relation, time-wise, to the season finale? I know that she mentioned it, was it a few days or was it... Two days ago you were shot point blank. Oh. Two days. That's a very short amount of time between Chloe almost losing her daughter and... Going straight to work? Going straight back to work. I mean, maybe it happened on a Friday, so she had the weekend <laughs> to get out of it. Now also later on we see that Detective Douche is not in jail as Lucy and as I thought but is already back on the force just two days later. What the fuck? Seriously timelines are fucked up. Timelines are fucked up. I found it interesting that Chloe was supposed to take care of her freshly kidnapped daughter, but still took out the time to collect some of Lucifer's blood to get it tested after he was apparently shot to death and didn't die. She saw him getting shot, bleed and fall, right? Or was she hiding? Even if she saw him fall, she's seen him get shot before. But it's interesting that she has a sample of blood. Yeah, for sure. But of course, of course she does. It matches. Everything I expect Chloe to do is collect all the blood samples. As soon as she is sure that Trixie is fine and safe, or that Malcolm is dead, that's the first thing she was gonna do, was sneak onto the crime scene and take Lucifer's blood samples. Checks out. I'm probably unreasonably angry that Dan is back on the force. I have to say, I expected the explanation to hold less water. The way they presented it, it actually makes sense. It's okay, but I'm still super angry. It actually lines up with what we see these days days in America that when the police force is involved in something questionable they will rather try to make it disappear than actually face on dealing with it and if they were to put Dan in jail they would have to admit to Malcolm being a corrupt cop for such a long time and the horrible things that he did so they rather sweep it under the rug and reinstate him so I actually see it as a good enough explanation to me. I call that convenient but I get it but remember our 40 minute argument that we cut because it wasn't a good look for either of us? <laughs> yes. How could I ever forget? Did you realize that we're both right with Chloe's reaction? Because Chloe is extremely upset and angry that he is back on the force, that he got his job back, that he did not turn it down. But when he confronts her with, well, would you have preferred for me to be in jail? Do you really think that's best for Trixie? She can't say anything because he's right. Yep. So her Turns out there was no need for us to have this very unflattering discussion. Let's call it the misunderstanding. When in the end, we apparently were both right, even though we were sure there was no way in hell that both of us could be correct. <laughs> which I found extremely interesting. For sure. We're both right. Let's go with that. I'm still curious if she would have turned him in if he hadn't turned himself in. I think that she would not have done it herself, but she would force him to do it himself. I still want to ask that question at the con, but... Yeah, do it. At least our base argument got resolved. And for me, the saving grace of this scene is that at least he got demoted. I was just about to say. And he will spend the rest of the episode trying to prove himself to Chloe. 
Louis or whatever. Seriously, he has to prove himself the rest of the season, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I absolutely agree. I want to see some serious groveling. And we've seen a bunch of it already. And I like it. Yeah, give me more. I enjoy the fact that he realizes that there is an issue and he's trying to deal with it the best way he can. He has to make amends. And yes, people fuck up, but then you have to make honest amends. So I expect some serious groveling and I expect some serious proper police work, not like in season one with, oh, Chloe, just let it be. It would be easier if you don't look into it too deep. But enough about Detective Douchebag on the Force. We get a new character and I think you might have mentioned that she is one of your favorites. Yeah, this scene is packed with stuff. We get a new character. Her name is Ella and she is played by Amy Garcia, who I absolutely adore. She is great. But reasons why I like Ella... I wrote them down. I did expect nothing less. Because I know that you have reasons why you don't like Ella. And I need to show some good things about her. She is very lighthearted. She is very smart. You can see that she enjoys her work. And I like that because I am the type of a person who says, if you don't like what you do as a job, you have no business doing it. Why would you spend majority of your life doing something that you do not enjoy? So I really like her for that. The passion and enjoyment that she shows us regarding her job. What I really, really like is that she is able to make her own opinions and she is very open-minded. And the whole little tidbit conversation that she has with Lucifer, where Lucifer says, oh yeah, I'm Lucifer Morningstar. And everybody up until now had the same reaction. Lucifer Morningstar, does that mean that you're the devil? No, she just takes it as it is and he is surprised. What can I add to that? I find it very non-surprising that we get an open Christian character. I think it was about time, yeah. Because it provides us with interesting potential. So her being openly Christian is non-surprising and I like that we actually get that insert. And all in all, she doesn't seem to think that the devil is all bad. Which, hey, I'm on board with that. He gets a bad rep. How did she put it with, he asked a naked lady if she wants an apple. (laughs) I'm curious how it's gonna go, because Ella, for me, seems to be equated a lot to a certain childlike naivete. What you describe as open, I describe as ridiculous naive. Her lack's position toward the devil, the liking the same show as Trixie, the implication with, oh, I thought you would ask me how it was growing up with four brothers, because in my brain, it's four older brothers. I have no idea if that's the case, but that's where my mind went. I'm curious if the childlike behavior and the naivete that Ella has displayed in this episode is gonna be kept up, and if yes, how they're gonna play with it, because it would provide an extremely interesting counterweight to the depravity, in quotation marks, that Lucifer represents. And the seriousness that Chloe radiates. Exactly. Chloe is the definition of a fucking grown-up. Yeah. So there's potential, but since I'm not a fan of childlike behavior or of naivete in general, those things instantly rub me slightly the wrong way. And this is where my initial dislike of the character comes from, but I do see the potential. What I really, really like about this character, and this is based on years and years of watching television, is that very often, if you have good writers writing a character like that, the childhood naivete and the childishness of the person usually means that they have 
gone through some shit and they chose to deal with it this way. Which would be great. Give me some dark past for Ella. Yes. So I am quite intrigued with what that entails. And also use her to ask inappropriate questions. Yeah. She wouldn't have been introduced if she wouldn't be around for the next few episodes. So I'm curious. Some fun tidbit for you, courtesy of the IMDb trivia. Apparently her hugging Lucifer was something that Tom Ellis didn't know before was gonna happen. So his reaction is genuine. I love when that happens. So yeah, we agree that Ella is an intriguing character, the least. There's potential. So we can go on to the victim's house. Coming up next, we have the flamingo army scene. That was so disturbing. The second this scene started, the rest of the episode instantly came to me. So the second I saw the nurse, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, I know what's gonna happen now. I forgot that. Up until this moment, I could not remember shit. And that very second, mm, I just remember who killed her and what happened. Great. I forgot it. And my first note is such a sweet lady implying that she felt motherly for Jillian. <laughs> Look, I think that's the point and yeah, I know. I'm glad that it's written well enough for it to be preserved even if you're rewatching it. I like that I forgot it because it made the episode very entertaining. Yeah, it's a very good episode. I really liked it. It's rated surprisingly low on IMDb. It got an 8.8 .8 rating or something. I would have expected it to be higher, but I'm gonna talk about that at the very end. I love the interaction between Lucy and the landlady with the drug abuse. She did so much cocaine, it would snow if you shook her and Lucifer. Oh, I tried that. It's so brilliant. It's these little moments. And my life reaction to her saying, I feel like this is my fault, was, yes, it's your fault, bitch. The whole situation where she says, oh, it was all Amy's fault. She was a drug abuser or whatever. And pointing fingers. I've been watching crime shows long enough to know that if somebody <laughs> points fingers this early on and is so definite about it, it's probably the killer. She was way too helpful and willing to shift the blame. Yeah, but she's so sweet because she had motherly feelings. Uh -huh. We get another confirmation that Lucy is entertaining his obsession of the week because his mom has to be an Amy. To wrap up scene four, when Lucifer tells Chloe, test my blood detective, my note is, yes, please do, Chloe. It will save us so many pointless discussions we're sure to have the entire season because we had them all in season one. I'm over it. At this point, I'm over the fact that Chloe is in doubt if Lucifer is crazy or a con man or the devil or maybe something else or <laughs> I don't know. You have the option to get proof. Get your fucking proof. And I know how the episode ends and I'm gonna talk about this when we get closer. We're gonna talk about it later. This is a conflict I can do without. There's so much more interesting stuff happening in the entire universe that we are being presented with that I am not interested in her internal turmoil. And this is the point where my actual dislike of Chloe's character starts. I'm hoping that I'll manage to change your opinion on that at least a little bit. Just shift it a little bit, not change, shift it a little bit. We'll see. You've done so with other things in the past, so I'm not ruling it out. Coming up next. Speaking of things that happened in the past. 
we have another returning artist for this scene. The song that is playing during this entire scene, it gets a little bit louder at the beginning and that still plays underneath the whole conversation between Ames and Lucifer. And then it gets a little bit louder again as we transition to the next scene and then it finishes. It's called Trouble and it's by Valerie Broussard, who is the artist that actually sang one of the songs that I called one of my favorites of season one, A Little Wicked. So repeat artist. Repeat artist. Yet another one. It's a second one so far. Cage the Elephant was the other one, right? I remember. Weirdly enough, I realized when I was looking through the playlist to write this down, is the band that plays A No Rest for the Wicked, which is my other favorite song. So clearly the people who take care of the music share my taste. Yes. Nice. So I challenge you now to call the next repeat artist. Make a statement now which one is going to be the next repeat artist. Go on record, bitch. I'm going to say it's going to be something obscure. I'm going to call churches. All right. And I'm going to go with something obvious just because he made so much music. And since we have the whole Lucifer supposed to look like him, I'm going to say David Bowie. That's a good guess. Okay, we're on the record. Yes, girl. It's probably going to be something way more obscure. Probably, but at least now we made a guess and now it counts if one of us is right. So, speaking of what happened in the past, scene five. Before you pointed out to me all over again that it's been only two days since the whole Malcolm situation, I was surprised that Maze was still missing, <laughs> which when you put it in perspective, it felt like a way longer time. And I have made a note, Lucifer loves to shift blame. Oh, yes. It's only Ames's fault that Maze left. And he will get into it a little bit more later at Linda's, but this was the first one where it was like, mm, blame shifting, I can see Lucifer what you're doing. This scene, by the way, also is the scene where the episode name is dropped. Oh. And you were talking about not realizing it was just two days and being happy that there was still no Maze because it absolutely makes logical sense. While I was sad that it's only two days and then she comes back later. I actually had forgotten that she shows up in this episode because apparently I didn't remember this episode in too much detail. So my note is, so no Maze this episode? And I wasn't happy with this. While I still agree with your reasoning that it's good, I want Maze. Well, you were the one complaining that she's still in Lux. Absolutely. Rationally, I fully agree with you. Emotionally, I'm like, give me more Maze screen time. <laughs> <laughs> For the next scene, I have no notes. The only thing that I noted is that Dunn is really trying to prove himself to Chloe, which, again, as we mentioned before, appreciate it. And you better work, bitch. I called the scene Dan being dot 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 useful. And that's it. And now we get into Amy's trailer while having a great song, which is not on Spotify. No. Will you put the YouTube link in the description? Obviously, as I always do. It is called Letting It Go by Ren. Ren has few other songs on Spotify, so I might go through them at some stage and pick a replacement one for the playlist if I feel like it. But nevertheless, this particular song is only on YouTube, but Letting It Go. I mean, that kind of hammers the situation in. Lucifer, just fucking let it go. It's not your mother. <laughs> I'm, I understood it more as letting it go because taking drugs helps you letting go. <laughs> Question though. Yes. How the fuck did Lucifer get in the trailer? He still has no wings, right? This is literally what I have written down next. <laughs> 
Nice. The only explanation, real explanation I could give you is that Amy was so busy snorting the cocaine that she didn't notice Lucifer walking in. However, I think it's bullshit and I think that Lucifer just appeared the same way he transported himself into the house back in the shoe episode or on the top of the house before the guy jumped and stuff like that. So Lucifer magicked himself into the trailer. Yeah, it's a bit annoying. We might want to ask about that specific power because it doesn't really make much sense since Lucifer doesn't have wings. How does he do this? Unless he has some hidden special skill that they didn't tell us about. Yep, I put the question down. I have another question. Go for it. Incest is a no-no for the devil? Yes. I'm surprised. I think it's more of the idea of his mother's sexuality. Like the way we view our parents or majority of people, I'm not gonna talk about anyone specific, but majority of people, the idea of their parents having sex is very uncomfortable just between themselves and then imagine that your own respective parents would make a pass at you. Very uncomfortable. Yeah, but that's a very human perspective. Well, the way he described his family before, that was a very human family, as we pointed out. Yeah, but he still is non-human. This is what I found so interesting, because in many ways, Maze's disregard for human life and Lucifer's general callousness, how he deals with most of human happenings, again and again and again point out that he is not human. So to have such a human hang-up about incest... Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not the Defending incest, you, no. Good. <laughs> but I would not have expected an angel to have incest issues. He has mommy issues, so him not wanting to be intimate with his mother, I get. <sighs> Just what you said. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he doesn't have an Oedipus complex. Yes, the way I understood it, I could not be on the same page with other angels gonna put it that way as much as I am on the same page with Lucifer I kind of expect him specifically him to have very human emotions in general because if we look at what we know even only in the show lore he always had very human emotions by acting out by rebelling by defying his father by being vindictive towards his mother all of these emotions are very typical for humans that's a good point hence it does not surprise me that he is also on this level. I guess my question would more likely be because of the how sexual depraved the devil so often is depicted. Does he have an actual issue with incest or does he simply not want to fuck his mother? So if it's a general dislike or is it this particular one? That is an interesting question. I would think that he has an issue with incest in general but that is just one woman's opinion. I like the consequence of the situation that just happened, but I also appreciate that they do not dwell on this girl for too long. I didn't even dwell on her that long because they leave the trailer and again, Lucifer tells Chloe to test my blood, even though Amanadiel has explicitly told him that no, there's adoption. Because he keeps repeating it, I realized it's extremely unlikely that it's ever gonna happen because I had forgotten that this episode ends with Chloe throwing out the blood. But at this point, I was like, okay, well, yeah, it's not gonna happen he, he's making too much of a big thing out of it and also i'm not happy with chloe's reaction to i'm not expecting to find anything except your stds because 
for me, that goes very close to sex shaming because just because you have a lot of sex doesn't mean you have to have STDs. Oh no, I understand that. I think that she's just deflecting and refusing to deal with this. She's also extremely uncomfortable with sex in general. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna get a little bit into my idea of Chloe's deflection and denial in the scene in Lux. Yeah. But for right now, I think this is all her trying to deal with herself being uncomfortable with the situation. Yeah, sex shaming is not the way to go. Most definitely not. What is also repetitive though, yet it keeps me entertained, is the ways Lucifer projects himself and his own situation onto his cases. <laughs> the way that he insists that this is about him and himself, yeah. it's so typical for Lucifer, yet it always keeps me entertained and it always is interesting to me. So far, I think that was just one episode where it was a bit I've complained a few times, but 90% of the time they really handled it very well. And it is the personal connection that is needed. It's a repetitive trait which works really well for the show. Though I do hope that at some point he grows enough emotionally to not constantly project his inner turmoil onto outside happenings. We'll see. I want growth. Speaking of growth, opposite happening in the next scene. I have no notes for this scene except Ames is losing the grip on his powers. I do have another note for this scene. They updated the precinct! I was wondering that. Yeah, they finally got the money to actually create a precinct that does not look like a old, unused government building with cubicles. This is actually a really cool set. The way it is set up now, it brings us endless possibilities of camera angles and the staircase is amazing. You can clearly see that they got themselves an actual set. I could see their previous offices being somewhere on location, but this feels like it was built in a warehouse just for this show, and therefore the funding for the show is much better. Go Lucifer! This is very, very cool. Yeah, it looks great. Scene nine. We go on to Linda's and another therapy session. As usual, she is the best therapist ever. It is a very classic therapy session with Lucy basically blaming everyone but himself and Linda trying so hard to make him realize that he is ignoring his own part of the blame without actually spelling it out. Once again, Linda proves herself to me as the best therapist in TV history because she actually confronts Lucifer about him willfully misinterpreting anything she says and asking him point blank if these sessions are actually helpful or even harmful. And that she is not willing to let this destructive behavior of Lucifer to go on, but instead is confronting him at a certain point is for me just another example of what a great therapist she is. Yeah. All the love for Linda on my part. All the love for Linda. Also, I have started the scene and the first note I started writing down was Lucifer again shifts the blame to everyone except for himself. And as I finish that sentence, Linda calls it out. <laughs> and I have to say, I just love when Linda reads my mind. It's <laughs> my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, I totally get that. But it's a very short scene. It is very short scene. This is pretty much everything that I had to say about that. It's quite intense. We have several shortish scenes this episode, but the entire pace of the episode is really, really well done. Nothing feels too rushed and nothing feels too long. Like we have a few scenes that are a bit longer, but all in all, it is a very good median of the scene length. And coming up 
is, in my opinion, an extremely hilarious scene. To me, it's more of a really interesting scene in a sense that it confirms a lot of what I thought before. Okay. And that is that Chloe wants an excuse to not believe Lucifer. She is looking for one. And we have came across a similar moment in the previous season where Chloe is grasping as straws, trying to explain everything that's happening in a way that it makes sense to her, that she can actually have proof. And a mini deal coming up to her and giving her these explanations, even though they may not be perfect, they are good enough for her to take them and make them her own because she wants to believe it. There is still something nagging her in the back of her head, mm. but she wants to believe that this is true. A mini deal is being very smart by coming up and recognizing that human brain will do anything to explain the unexpected explainable and playing into it and giving her exactly what she's looking for. By hilarious, I don't mean funny haha, but it is so hilarious how elaborate Amenadiel's preparation for this scene is. Where did he come up with blood bags? What the fuck? He hasn't been around for that long, has he? When did he come up with any of it? Bulletproof West, blood pack, neurolinguistic programming. Like, why does Amenadiel even know what that is? How can you two be brothers? Have you never heard of adoption? It is so brilliantly set up, but it's also so cunning. And sorry, it is all lies. It's absolutely all lies. With Amenadiel two scenes before already displaying his continuous loss of control over his power, him lying this explicitly to Chloe, for me, furthers his falling from grace. And also, it is in such stark contrast to Lucifer, because the one thing Lucifer does not do is lie. And so Amenadiel, bending over backwards, crafting this extremely well-prepared lie and deception, is extremely well done. When he describes like everything he does as a part of a performance, we had a very difficult childhood, he is using half-truths. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, Lucifer does perform in a certain way and yes they had a difficult childhood but those are not the actual answers to the questions Chloe is having but in the entire scene there's one thing Amenadiel says that in my opinion is not a lie and that is in the end the only person he truly lies to is himself which of course coming right out of the therapy session with Linda is extremely fitting my only wonder is does Amenadiel actually really know that does he know Lucy well enough or is this part of the ploy? I think he knows him well enough, but I don't think that he consciously says this, realizing how true it actually is. It was not a deliberate statement with that much meaning as it actually has. Yeah, yeah, I can get behind that. I absolutely agree with you. I have written down this sentence as well. The only person he truly lies to is himself. Because that is extremely Lucifer. And this is an excellent explanation for a lot of things that Lucifer does. And we now have a shortcut scene. Ooh. It's very short. It's absolutely understandable why it got cut. It doesn't give us any new information and it's just Chloe and Lucifer walking around on the outside of the building. Ah, before they go into the AA meeting. Not knowing that this is the situation. And she says, we tracked the guy's phone. He's in this building. We don't know why though. So we need to be ready for everything. And Lucifer looks at her and they just start bickering. 
he starts telling her, oh, you're behaving weird. Why are you weird? You're being weird. And she's like, no, I'm not weird. Yes, you're weird. And they say the word weird like 15 times. <laughs> and then Chloe notices the people around her and she goes, oh, I know what's happening here. I know why the dealer is here. And then we go to the AA meeting. So it doesn't really give us any new information. It's a really cool, very cute kind of a back and forth between Lucifer and Chloe. Shows us that Lucifer knows Chloe very, very well at this stage already. When we go into the AA meeting in in scene 11, the moment Lucy takes the stage, it's obvious that it's gonna be cringy and so funny. It's the perfect mixture that Lucifer does whenever he's the center of attention. And it's the kind of cringe that I can get behind. I get that this is effective and I love Lucifer to bits. And I think it's very funny, But at the same time, this is not okay. It's very Lucifer. It's very Lucifer, but dude, this is not okay. This is not how you should be behaving around people who are struggling with addiction. But this is one of the cases where, again, it's shown how non-human Lucifer is. Because addiction for him is not an issue. And he usually lacks empathy to humans who are not Chloe or sometimes at least a bit Linda. And I absolutely understand why he does it and the way he does it is very himself, but it just gave me this a little bit of a sour aftertaste. But I feel like they catch it with the guy who guides the meeting. Yes. Actually, like, the topic today is your lowest point. And then Lucifer getting very abruptly so much less glib and very, very personal and actually sharing this moment of realization that he never gave his mother a chance to explain herself. So while I fully agree with you that it's like, dude, this is not a time or place, I feel like in the end, because they give him this moment of realization and make him very vulnerable in this moment, it's even more obvious that his funniness in the beginning is all performance, just as Amenadiel described it. The moment Lucifer realizes that this is not about him anymore, he tries to leave, right? And then Chloe is like, I will, we still have to find the drug dealer. And he stays for her. There's no debate. So we have a bit of growth there, but also Chloe really understands him because once his service is no longer needed, she lets him off the hook, basically. She tells him, now you can go and deal with your whatever issues because now I have the person that I need to talk to. She is using the eggs. I need the eggs. What a fucking shit joke. But yeah. It's a shit joke, but it very much fits the situation. But I I like that both of them, while knowing each other's quirks and ethics and values. Yeah, we're getting into a situation where they know each other well enough to actually willfully profit from the relationship. And also they respect each other's boundaries in a, in a certain way. Yes. But I don't have any notes on Chloe's interaction with the dealer. I was kind of surprised. I wasn't 100% sure how that was going to turn out. I didn't realize that this was a different dealer. I originally thought that he works for Bobby B. So I was like, oh, actually, never mind. <laughs> Everything I thought is wrong. And back into the episode. But with your permission, I will move on to the next scene because we will kick that out with a song. Yes, yes, yes. Song is called Scout by Ravionettes. And Scout could be the guy who sneaks in and try to steal a life, as in steal a flag. Do Scouts do that? Or it can be Mace. <laughs> Who's there to protect Lucifer? Because welcome back, Maze! She's back! 
The girl is back. I have hooded figure, sudden maze. Damn, she looks amazing. She looks very good. And we move over to Penthouse straight away. Yes, uh, I just kept it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I absolutely adore about this scene is that they have a conversation. There is a full-fledged conversation. And then like a minute into the scene, we actually realize that there is the kid hanging off the fucking ceiling the entire time. <laughs> But we get some really interesting conversation and information drop in this scene. So besides the fact that, as I said before, we don't actually even see the kid at the beginning of the scene where they have the conversation about, oh yeah, this is hell and this is, you know, my mom escaped from hell and you're a demon and demons don't do this and stuff like that. And then the camera turns and we see the, the kid. When May says, never could break that woman. And then we see the kid. That is so cool. It's so funny that they just don't give a fuck. And it puts it into a direct contrast with Amenadiel. Because Amenadiel is doing what he can to keep the divinity of himself and all of them actually hidden. It makes Lucifer all out there. (laughs) They have always said it straight out. And it's up to you if you want to believe it or not. They don't care. So I really like this contrast. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Lucifer pointing out that he is picturing Mace and mom together. And it made him grossed out. So it seems to be a mom issue, not an incest issue. It genuinely, again, proves that he does have a massive issue with his mother's sexuality which honestly i'm completely on board with same lucy same parents are humans too i know but i don't need to know about it or picture it ah control your thoughts girl i like the maze saying that she was with a friend but not specifying who and i think it's really good on her that she realized she needs to figure out who she is which is a callback to season one when she was in linda's office and i like that she keeps going with that i would have wished that she took more time than two days to come back it's been three days now right yeah but still she she could have taken more than three days but at least she took three days it's better than when lucifer basically broke up with her and she was still instantly at lux because she was clinging to the last remains of their previous relationship now she's trying to get free and at least this time she took at least 48 hours to herself which is already progress baby steps mace baby steps we're getting there (laughs) yeah And, oh boy, boy has an information. Oh yeah, boy gives us information. I was genuinely surprised. Coming up next, Lucy is visiting Chloe at the precinct and she gets him to help with the paperwork. And instead of sharing the info that he gleaned from the boyfriend, he sits down, starts looking at the paperwork and realizes the loving landlady is actually Bobby B., I found it extremely in character how angry he gets. Oh, that flicker in his eyes. So good. I have complained in the past when he does his personal transference shit on on the cases. But this is one of the examples where I'm 120% on board. Because he has his mommy issues, which are very well based. And this was set up beautifully, in my opinion. Yeah. This is the equivalent of him doing something because he believes it's right and not because he needs to prove anything to anybody. 
I think he fully intended to tell Chloe about the nickname, but when he realizes who the nickname is for and puts two and two together, he gets really upset and he decides to deal with it his own way. Absolutely. In the next scene... Which I just called Mace, Mace, Mace. Mace has a conversation with Amenadiel, right? But before that, we have the boyfriend running up the stairs. Oh my god! Still being wrapped up in bondage tape, but now apparently having chicken feathers on <laughs> Rolled into something sticky and then in feathers. So was it... Tart and feathered, yeah. Tart and feathered. <laughs> It's yellow fucking feathers. Like, it, she just raided her fan closet for this. Also, she has a kettle prod in her hand. Of course. I'm so there for it. Also, she changed since the last scene. Maybe it was necessary. I mean, she had to get the sticky stuff on the boy. True, true, true. And then we do have the conversation with Amenadiel. And I have one issue with that. He doesn't say thank you. He alludes to it, but he doesn't actually say it. And I'm disappointed. I think that she didn't want him to say it. You don't say thank you because someone wants you to say thank you. You say thank you because you mean it. Yeah, and I agree with that. Dude, she fucking saved your life at an extremely high cost to herself because now she has no way of going back to hell even if she wanted to and sorry if a thank you is the least Amenadiel could have said. What I notice in this scene and I'm not 100% on board with it I know where it's coming from but Mace gets this very very soft side this episode and I'm not buying it honestly. It feels like in such a short really yeah in such a short amount of time it's a big change and I as much as I understand why it happened it just feels a little bit too much she says that she was with a friend and later on we do realize that the friend obviously was Linda we have been praising Linda's capabilities if you spend 48 hours with Linda and are open and willing to change not Lucifer in self-denial, but Mace having come to the realization that she needs to have progress and realize where she belongs. So she has done the most important step that Lucifer is still missing, the willingness to change. If Linda had 48 hours to work on her, I believe everything. This is why it works for me. I am fine with accepting it this way. It just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. It was so intense that I noticed it. I agree. It's, it's a lot of development. In a short amount of time. I want to see the change, not be told about it. Yes, it was a little bit too much in my face, personally. I don't disagree, but Linda being Linda and Linda being the friend, I can live with it. Fair enough. Coming up, we got the inappropriate workplace topics. With Chloe coming up to Ella. I really like this scene. And I think it plays on a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. About Ella as character. And I can see already that you're going to have issues with her. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh no, it's fine. A few things that Ella says ring really strongly with me. When she talks about the fact that faith is a big part of her life. And therefore she wants to talk about it. Even though it can be inappropriate question, she likes to talk about it and she likes to be asked questions because that means that people are willing to accept it. They are opening themselves to conversation. And that's nice. Not accept her fate, but accept that she has fate, I mean. Then she talks about doubt. Then she says, I doubt so I can believe. Doubt is important. And I find that really, really good as well. Because... That is something I can get behind. I am not religious. I do not believe in a god or anything like that. But in doubts, 
we learn and if we're not sure we ask questions and if we are doubting things in our life it opens us up to growth so i really really liked the way they fleshed out her approach to her faith in this scene i couldn't disagree more <laughs> what okay the one positive thing for me in this scene is Chloe's glib with the I thought you would have more faith in your faith, which is a very nice line. So that is my positive takeaway. I do agree with it is nicely done with the I do want to talk about my faith. It's okay that you ask because it shows interest, but I would not have expected it. So had Ella not wanted to talk about this, it would have been inappropriate for the workplace. But since Ella is willing to talk about this, it is not inappropriate. I suppose. Although I understand why that came, because Chloe tends to be very single-minded and her mind was really, really into the whole idea and she just blurted it out. Ella was the first person that she could talk about this with and she just went for it, which is very Chloe. Chloe is not a socially very capable person. That is very true. So small talk is not Chloe's forte. I took extreme issue with the I doubt so I can believe. For me, that sentence is utter bullshit. Faith is about having something bigger than yourself. Of course, you can doubt certain translations, but the basis of your faith, the basis of creation, the basis of the morality that is implied in your religion, the basis of the entire concept is not something that you doubt. Either you believe in it or you don't believe in it. If you are in doubt if God exists, then you do not have faith in God. If you have doubt if the whole Bible stuff that the Catholics are telling you about is as it is supposedly, then you do not have faith in the Christian belief and so on and so on. Of course, it is important to question, but questioning is not the same as doubting. I think that this is the baseline for this whole argument because... Chloe isn't asking her if she's doubting the existence of God. She's asking her if she's doubting if what is written in the Bible actually happened. If it's real. I think Chloe asked her, do you think it's all real? God, the devil, angels? And Ella goes, maybe, maybe not. Girl, what? In my perception, this was not about is it all real, hence do you believe in God? It was more like, is it an actual real physical thing or is it metaphorical? That's not what Chloe asked. This is how I proceeded to question and how therefore I proceeded Ella's answer. But I think this is very much about the perception of how you see the situation. And I think that your opinion is absolutely valid and it is very true. I hate the sentence, your opinion is valid. That is a personal hang-up that I have. Do you know what I mean, though? I know what you mean, but I feel this is a repeat of certain arguments that we had in the past. Yeah. Let me put it very bluntly. You tend to interpret a lot more into the said word than I do. I focus extremely on the letter of the word that has been said. Yeah, you're very literal. And you tend to use interpretation a lot more than I do. And this is where we get the discord because you know what the immediate thing that I try to do is I was on my way into the episode to get the exact statements and <laughs> no Lena that is not helpful because you are not talking about the letter of the word you are talking about what you interpreted and gleaned from this situation yes so it will not make a difference if I quote to you what is being said <laughs> Yeah, 
because this is genuinely the reason why we have such a massive difference between our opinions is because of this. And I think that it's good that we are learning to recognize it. But this scene is concluded by Ella suddenly completely changing the topic and coming back to the case. Which actually was really well done. I know, right? This is so out of life. When you think about something really, really hard and you can't put your finger on what it is and then you switch your attention to something else and it comes to you in the middle of a sentence. And then you have to follow up. So it was extremely realistic. And then finishing up this scene with my note, oh fuck, Chloe now knows as well, Lucifer is probably gonna get himself in trouble. The next scene is what I have been waiting for ever since we learned that Lucy gets vulnerable only in proximity to Chloe. It's so well done. I fucking love this episode. It's really well done, but it has been coming, right? I call the scene solving the crime one game of poker at a time. Ha ha ha. I like the poker. <laughs> Lucy standing in the door and going, hello, murderer, was in a very nice touch. He's only getting walloped because he hadn't realized that Chloe was that close behind him. And it's nice. And the whole situation where he's just, oh, come at me. Let's make this a fun moment. And then he gets hit over the face. Don't tell anyone I died like this. But his first assumption isn't that Chloe is closed. His first question is like, is this like demonic poker or something? Lucy, you're gonna have to learn, seriously. I mean, he's right to question everything at this stage of his life. Yeah, but he needs to learn to make sure that Chloe isn't close when he's moving himself into potentially dangerous situations. Because who knows how many deals he can make with dad, right? Also, this is the scene with the you make me a better detective and the egg joke and everything, right? Yes. Because my last note for this scene is Chloe being a decent, honest person again. Why are you so good? I want some darkness on her. Can we get at least a little bit of gray into her? Let's just keep watching. Maybe they're gonna bring something in. I'm gonna make a wish here. Give me some darkness to Chloe, like proper darkness. Please. We return to Linda's office, even though, as she points out, Lucy doesn't have an appointment. And I really enjoy that Lucifer comes and thanks her and shows his growth that I have been desperately asking for in certain areas. And that's my notes on the penultimate scene. And I yield the floor. So as Lucifer leaves the therapy, a song starts playing. And we're gonna talk about all the images we're gonna get to see during this song in a little bit. But before we do that, I'd like to talk a little bit about the song itself. It is one of the Tom Ellis sang songs, which I will link to the episode in his version from YouTube. However, I have decided to put on the playlist, the Jimi Hendrix version of the song. The song is called All Along the Watchtower. Why did you use the Jimi Hendrix version and not the Bob Dylan one? Because, and I'm gonna get into this, the song was originally released in December of 1967 on uh, Bob Dylan's album. It's written by Bob Dylan and it was released on his 1967 album, John Wesley Harding. And it's one of his greatest hits. However, it's better known as Jimi Hendrix's song because in January 1968, Jimi Hendrix recorded and released this song on his own album. The song 
spoke to him on so many levels that he decided to include it on his own album. Different versions appear on a lot of Dylan's live albums because it was one of the most played Bob Dylan songs at his own performances. And it was, as I mentioned, covered by Jimi Hendrix for the album Electris Ladyland with the Jimi Hendrix experience. It released actually six months after Dylan's original, but it was recorded only a month afterwards. And it became a top 20 single in 1968, received a Grammy Hall of Fame award in 2001. It was ranked 47th in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 greatest songs of all time in 2004. And now a little bit about their approaches, and their, I mean Hendrix's and Dylan's. What Hendrix said, Sometimes I play Dylan's songs and they are so much like me that it seems to me that I wrote them. I have a feeling Watchtower is a song I could have come up with, but I'm sure I would never have finished. Dylan was inspired back by Hendrix, and he said, it overwhelmed me really. He had such talent, he could find things inside a song and vigorously develop them. Strange how when I sing it, I always feel it's a tribute to him in a some kind of way. This is why I included the Jimi Hendrix version, because Dylan himself felt that that particular song belonged to Jimi Hendrix a little bit more than it belonged to himself. Why I asked is because I did a little research as well. And apparently this song can be read as a summary of Dylan's life to this point. I have a link in my show notes. So people who get the show notes get that. Given his earlier efforts to make pointed fun of almost everything around him and his near fatal motorcycle crash that marked a turning point in his career, it is hard not to see the Joker as Dylan himself. He has now learned that life is not a joke and distinguishes between artists and outsiders who understand the seriousness of life versus the businessmen and fans who treat his art as simply a marketable commodity. The lyrics apparently relate extremely to Dylan. So I was curious why you picked the recording by someone else. And your argumentation is flawless. (laughs) I extremely recommend to everybody to read through the lyrics or listen very carefully to the song. Where I got a lot of my information is that I went to Spotify. And if you open the song on Spotify while it plays, sometimes they have this little section called about the lyrics and... Not only they show you the lyrics, but they tell you a little tidbits about the song. I did not know that. A lot of really interesting information about the guitar solos in the song and stuff like that. So 100% recommend that and listen to the lyrics. I do have to say that it very much fits with our regular once Lucifer is actually singing something himself, the whole thing is important. It's not just about the nice pretty music, it cuts fucking deep but for them to actually go like because there's so many scenes with zero dialogue and all dialogue that is happening is the song i was completely there for it yeah (laughs) i do wonder how oh you know what let's go into final thoughts because i think that's more a final thought final thoughts i have very short final thoughts except the new thought that just came into my head. Final thoughts on the episode on my side. Of course, my Ella notes that I already said earlier on with the childlike naivete. So I'm curious if that's gonna be a thing. Otherwise, besides Ella, I really think this is a good seasonal opener. Loose threads from season one are being picked up 
which I appreciate. The May situation, Chloe and Dan, the whole mom issue. And as I said before, getting a new character introduced in the first episode of season two feels perfectly logical. And I'm curious with the potential between an open believer, an open non-believer and the actual devil. Hopefully there's gonna be entertainment from there. And my new thought that just popped into my head is a writing question for Joe, basically. Did he know the song by heart and he was like, okay, this is the perfect way to end this episode? Or did he write this episode and then look at the ending and go, oh my, this song would be a perfect fit, which came first. The, hmm, we're gonna use the song or, hmm, I wrote this scene. How? That's an interesting question, yeah. So I'm gonna put this in the question list. And while you do that, overall, I really like this episode. Although, and I mentioned this earlier, I do feel like Maze's change is a little bit too drastic for me. But that is, again, my opinion. And I talked about this. What I liked a lot is that mom appears the very moment when Lucifer stops looking for her. Yeah. Which, again, is based on something that happens to every single person on this earth. Once you stop looking for something, it usually shows up. It's a classic, I've watched Kettle Never Boils. Yes. And I am very much intrigued with the dysfunction of Ames' powers. And of course, since I didn't have Trixie, I very much appreciate that we got Ella in the picture, finally, because she <laughs> is one of my favorite characters and I am very glad that Ella is in the picture. Which is it! So, dear listeners, thank you for listening. If you want to keep in touch with us, you can do so via all of our various social media. Or you can send us an email directly to lucifer at caot-podcast.com. Our episodes can be found on Spotify and iTunes as usual. If you are curious if there are other ways to get actually involved, besides obviously telling all your friends that they have to listen to the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. You have to actually go onto that website. You cannot search for us on Patreon because we're marked explicit. Thank you all again and thank especially our wonderful, wonderful patrons. And with that, we say bye! bye.